DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. All right, let's move to another letter. So this is a year later. Celie is 44 now, and Pauline is 15. And she has started a letter, and this often would happen to her. She'd start writing a letter, and then her children or her workers or something would interrupt, and she would return to it later on. So she said, "It's it's been a long time, earlier in the day or the preceding day, since my letter was interrupted. Since then, I've been to High Mass, and we went on a long walk in the fields, which they would do as a family. Uh, Louis loved to fish. He was a great fisherman. And uh, that was part of, Therese would accompany him on, uh, on some of those fishing trips when she was a young girl. But they loved the outdoors, which was not too far from them, because these uh, cities were small at the time. And we were very happy with this outing. On our way back, we met a poor old man who had a good face. I sent Therese to bring him a few alms. Therese is three years old at this time. He seemed so touched by this and thanked us so much that I saw he was very unfortunate. I told him to follow us. Right, so she's, in, she's um, now getting in, involved. And that I was going to give him some shoes. He came and we served him a good dinner. He was dying of hunger. I couldn't tell you how many troubles he was suffering from in his old age. This winter he had frostbitten feet. He sleeps in an abandoned hovel and has nothing. He's going to huddle outside the barracks. There were army barracks in Alençon to be given a little soup. Finally, I told him to come whenever he wants, and I'll give him bread. I would like your father to arrange for him to enter the hospice, so a refuge for the elderly and ill. He wants to go there so much. We're going to negotiate the matter. So they're going to look into it. So to get him, in our terms, uh, the social help that's available for him. I'm very sad over this encounter, and I do nothing but think about this fellow, who nevertheless was delighted by the few pennies I gave him. With this, he said, I'll eat soup tomorrow. I'll go to the soup kitchen, and then I'll have some tobacco and get a shave. In a word, he was as cheerful as a child. While he was eating, he would pick up his shoes, look at them happily, and smile at them. Then he recited a beautiful prayer for us that he always says at Mass. And then later in what is a very lengthy letter, I have to tell you about two events that happened this week. I already spoke to you about a poor man whom we've known since spring. He was in the most extreme poverty since he didn't have any shelter and slept in a barn with an open-work door which caused him to get frostbite in his fingers. and No one took care of him, and he asked for nothing and only went to the door of the barracks to have a little soup. He was starving. 
Your father had noticed him in the doorway of the Hotel de France in such a miserable state and with such a gentle expression that he took an interest in him. So it's months later, after what we read just a minute ago, and uh, Louis sees him now, obviously in great need, standing at the door of a hotel and approaches him. As for me, I wanted to know more about him, and while on a walk I approached the fellow. I brought him home and questioned him. I then discovered that he was childlike, so mentally probably um, some kind of disability, and languishing without any help. So he's a street person, unable to take care of himself. I asked him to come here every time he needed something, but he never came. Finally, in the beginning of winter, your father met him one Sunday. It was very cold, and he had bare feet and was shivering. Overcome with pity for this unfortunate man, he began to take all kinds of steps to have him enter the hospice. How many steps he took, and how many letters he wrote, to get a copy of his baptismal certificate, and the petitions! But all this was a waste of time, because we discovered the fellow was only sixty-seven years old, three years less than the required age. However, your father did not admit defeat. He took this cause to heart and prepared for the assault once again to have him enter the home for the incurables. The poor man has a hernia, but usually they won't take someone for such a little thing, and I had no hope. Finally, he entered there last Wednesday against all expectations. Your father went to track him down in his barn Tuesday evening, and the next morning he admitted him. He saw the old man again today who cried tears of joy to find himself so perfectly happy. In spite of his weakened mind, he tried hard to thank him and to prove his gratitude. So that was the parents that uh, that Therese had. Almost doesn't need any commentary, but that's what they witnessed, what they saw growing up. And Therese, had, the more you know, learn about her parents, the more you understand Therese. In fact, it's interesting to put side by side even a photo of Therese's mother and Therese. You can see the uh, very evident family resemblance. Harder to know how much she looks like her father because her father had this big beard <laughs> which mm-hmm. hit some of his features. All right, uh, this next letter is the letter that she writes, Zelie writes to her sister-in-law, Celine, when uh, it's evident now that uh, her breast cancer is serious. This is eight months before her death. And uh, she has been to the doctor, as she'll tell her sister-in-law, and so she's just letting her know of the situation. So... Obviously, this is a very intense moment. My dear sister, my heart is pounding thinking of how much I'm going to hurt you. Now, that is what really strikes me. Here, Zelie is the one who knows that she probably doesn't have much longer to live. Not certain yet, but she knows that uh, her own life is likely not to be too much longer. And my heart is pounding thinking of how much I'm going to hurt you because of the love between us when I share this with you. what it's, it, it is incredibly other-centered. It's this law of the gift to live to, in the ordinary, live to an astoundingly heroic degree. And every line of every letter of Zelie shows the same thing, as does every line of every letter of Therese as well. I hesitated a moment whether or not to tell you the entire truth, but I feel I must. I need your advice. Now, she wants her sister-in-law's advice because she's married to her brother Isidore, who is a pharmacist, and to whom she has turned over the years for his advice on medical things. 
and who also has connections with various doctors, you know. I made up my mind last Sunday to go find a doctor. I was more worried than I wanted to make known. In fact, for a long time, she never told Louis about this. Again, she just didn't want him to suffer with it. Seeing my disease getting worse. If I delayed so long, it was because I was doing my brother's remedy. So Isidore had given her a way of trying to deal with this, and he didn't advise me to see a doctor. I also knew there was nothing to do except have an operation, and the thought makes me tremble, not because of the suffering, but because I was convinced that from that moment on I would go to bed and never get up again. Finally, upon receiving your letter, I would have gone to find Dr. X, the name is not given, if I hadn't had a shipment of lace to do. So that's the pressure of her work. So I waited until Friday. My husband, reading your letter, began to become more worried, as he now realizes that this is serious. He went to find Monsieur Vital Rome, who was a good friend, because I was saying I didn't want to see a doctor. Monsieur Vital came and insisted on an operation, naming several ladies whom I knew and who'd pulled through. In the end, I went to see the doctor, who, after having examined me thoroughly through touch, said to me after a moment of silence, Do you know that what you have there is of a very serious nature? It's a fibrous tumor. Would you shrink from an operation? Now, this is the first time that somebody has named for her what this is. So, what about an operation? I answered, no. Although I'm certain that instead of saving my life, this operation would shorten my days. I added proof to support this, so much so that he continued immediately, You know as much as I do. All this is, all this is the truth. Also, I can't advise you because it's quite uncertain. Would it be wise to have the operation or not? I really can't tell you. It's uncertain. I asked him if there was one in a hundred chance, and he answered evasively. I'm very grateful to him for his frankness, because now I'm going to hurry to put my affairs in order so as not to leave my family in an awkward position. Again, her whole concern is for her family. He offered me a prescription. I said to him, what will it do? He looked at me and replied, nothing. It's to make the patients happy. So this doctor was blunt. Uh, She didn't have a very positive experience, really, with doctors. And, you know, that would be reproduced in Therese, too. She accepted the remedies, but she never believed them. And, in fact, none of them really ever did help her. I couldn't help myself from telling my family everything. I regret it now because there was a grief-filled scene, obviously. Everyone crying. Poor Celine, uh, poor Leonie, who was the one who, we would call her a child with disabilities today, emotionally um, struggled very, very much, very difficult time, and at this point had um, come close to her mother and was dependent, deeply dependent upon her. But I named so many people who'd lived 10 or 15 years like this, and I didn't seem very upset, doing my work cheerfully as always, perhaps more so that I calmed everyone down. Uh, all we have to do is stop for a moment and think of the virtue involved there. You know, her concern is not centered on self, but on her family, on helping them get through this, helping them get through this. And yet, I'm quite far from deluding myself, and I have trouble falling asleep at night when I think about the future. You see this throughout Zaylee's life, the, the, the worry for her children and their future and the family. And However, I'm resigning myself as best I can but I was far from expecting such a test. Never imagined this would happen. 
My sister is very happy to die. Now, her sister, the nun at the visitation convent, was in the last months of her life at this point, which was another deep sorrow at this point for Aunt Zelie because they were so intimate and so close. Um, and her sister was suffering with illness as well at this point. She'll, um, there's nothing that family can go through that this family didn't know. I mean, obviously they were united and their faith was their rock. But as far as financial worries, um, death, serious illness of the members, they went through all of it. My sister is very happy to die, looking for return toward eternity. She'll know nothing of these sad affairs because I don't want to poison her last day. So Zilli never said anything about her own situation to her sister. I won't say anything more to Pauline, her daughter who is at that school. If she knew, she wouldn't be able to return to boarding school. She would just come home. And, and Knowing her as I do, that would hurt her more than seeing me. If you have any advice to give me about the operation, please write me this week because Pauline arrives Wednesday and I don't want her to see your letter. My husband is inconsolable. Deep, deep, deep love between the two of them. He's given up the pleasure of fishing and put his lines in the attic. Um, as they say, that was one of his great hobbies that he loved very much. He doesn't want to go to the Vital Circle anymore where he had a circle of friends. It was a church-related group, but that's where his friends were. It's as if he shattered. That same night he went to find Monsieur Vital to give him an account of the consultation, and Monsieur Vital still says the operation is very necessary. Please give me your advice. I'm not suffering a lot. There's a numbness along the whole side to just under the arm and a dull pain on the right side of the lump. I can't lie down on that side anymore. Uh, her pain would grow as the months went along. But at this point, you know, she bore so much suffering so selflessly that at this point she is ready for this kind of suffering. I would like that this not worry you too much. So again, her concern for others and that you resign yourself to the will of God. He found me useful on earth. If he found me useful on earth, certainly he wouldn't permit me to have this illness, because I've prayed so much that he not take me from this world as long as I'm necessary to my children. And now she starts um, speaking with her sister-in-law about the future of her children. Marie is now grown up. So Marie would be about 16 years old at this point. And she's at an age in the culture where she's ready to take over and manage a household. She has a very serious nature and no youthful illusions. I'm sure that when I'm no longer here, she'll make a good mistress of the house, and point of fact, that's what happened, and do everything possible to raise her little sisters well and set a good example for them. She was Therese's third mother in a way because after Zelie's death, Pauline uh, became her second mother when Pauline entered the Carmel. Marie uh, took over that role until Marie herself entered the Carmel. And do everything possible to raise her little sisters well and set a good example for them. Pauline is also charming, but Marie has more experience, and moreover, she has a lot of influence over her little sisters. Celine shows the best tendencies, and this one will be a very pious child. It's quite true, quite rare at her age to show such an inclination toward piety. Therese is a true little angel. As for Leonie, only God can change her, and I'm convinced he will. And she was right. Her cause of canonization is now underway. 
I hope to go and see you one more time. So she hopes to be able to make the, the trip one more time up to Lisieux to visit her sister and family. And if I notice that the illness is progressing, progressing too much, I'll go before the vacation. If Pauline were here, I would have taken her and Marie to stay with you, and I would have left them with you several weeks in fear that it may not be possible this summer. They would normally go every summer when the, the, the uh, children were back from school, and they would spend some time with um, their aunt, aunt and uncle up in these years. They'll be very happy to have you when I'm no longer here. So she's asking uh, Celine, her sister-in-law, to be their mother when she's gone. And you know, her sister-in-law was there, and Isidore were there. They got word in time they were there when Zelie actually died. And uh, shortly before her death, Zelie looked at length at uh, her her sister-in-law, Celine, and Celine understood very, very deeply and beyond any question. She was un- uh, Zelie was unable to speak at that point that what that look meant was, I entrust my children to you as their mother now. And she fulfilled that role in a very loving way. You'll help them by your good advice, and if they have the misfortune of losing their father, you'll take them into your home, won't you? Question mark. It consoles me a lot to think that I have such a good family. In all her sufferings, this was an, a huge strength for her, the, the unity and the bond, the faith and the love that um, you know kept them together, and that there'll be such good replacements for us in case of misfortune. There are poor mothers, much more unfortunate than I, who don't know what will become of their children and who leave them in need without any help. As for me, I have nothing to fear in that respect. In short, I don't look at the dark side of things. It is a great grace that God is giving me. And she concludes, Don't worry about me at all. I'm hardly sick at the moment. It's a little thing, and if I didn't see the lump, I would think it's nothing. Don't don't worry about me. I'm fine. I, to make the point, I have a corn on my foot that hurts me much more, and I don't have to see it to feel it. In other words, this is a small thing now, don't worry. Be that as it may, let's make the most of the time that's left to us and not worry. Besides, it will still only be what God wants. If the illness gets worse, I'll go on some pilgrimage, as she did. If I'd listened to Louis, I think we would have been to Lourdes already, but it's not urgent. I would wish for a moment to to go spend a day with you, and you'd see that I look well, my appetite is good, and I'm very cheerful. It's true that I'm not sad. While waiting to hear from you, I hug you with all my heart. And all of that will be reproduced in Therese. Uh, That same ability to not to focus on self and to go out with an astounding love, really, toward the others around her, both by the letters that Therese would write and also in her personal contact with the sisters. And again, this is all in the ordinary of daily living, and it's, it's heroic. We'll return to the letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs. Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. 
This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher, there are several points in that poignant letter that jump out at me, among many, but a couple, that she mentions how she's blessed in a way, unlike other women of her time who don't know what will become of their children. And I think that is for a mother's heart. Again, I'm the mother of three, and I have two that have um, serious challenges. And uh, that there's a, a fear that I, what will happen to my children if something happens to me. And she mentions that she's been given a grace that there's this trust in a very incredible way that she's that helps her sustain her so she's not living in the darkness of that fear and i think there are many people even today i mean in, in her time they didn't have they didn't know social security they didn't have a welfare system they didn't have 
even the financial means to be able to take care of children after maybe a parent's death. What, what would you attribute that? Because there are many people today that continue to live in that type of fear, maybe not for themselves, but it's a, a hook that the enemy can get at to make us live in that darkness. There's one little line in this letter. I mean, we, we could have spent several podcasts on this letter alone. But there's one little line in this letter that I think gives the answer to the courage with which Zeli faces the unknown. Uh, now, as she's just told her sister-in-law, she has such a loving and, and united family that she knows their children will never be abandoned. So she has some human uh, support there, you know, which fortifies her. But that's not the deepest thing. As she says here, besides, it will still only be what God wants. Be that as it may, let's make the most of the time that's left to us and not worry. Besides, it will still only be what God wants. It's her faith that God's loving providence holds her and her children in, in, uh, at heart that ultimately is the source of her, her courage and her trust that things will go well for her daughters uh, as it goes forward. You will see this... Um, exemplified uh, all the more in Therese. That's her rock, too, as she goes through the sufferings and the illnesses uh, of her own life. It will be what God wants, and God loves us, and he will not abandon us. So the, the bedrock is faith. If we have that, then we have a, a surety that uh, beyond all the very evident human reasons to worry, there is a love and a providence that will not abandon so, uh, the, the family. So, the real source of strength is to live close to God. I don't think you can too easily improvise, you know, this kind of thing. God's grace can step in at any moment, no matter where a person has been in the spiritual life. And very often, it's circumstances like these that impel a person to come closer to God again, so that times like this become spiritually times of great, uh, great fruitfulness. Um, but that, that's where we look above all. That's where she looks above all. God, his love, his providence, that's my bedrock. Besides, she says, it will still only be what God wants, and I trust that. Mm. And this is a woman who is energetic, who is able to do so much, and yet there's nothing that she can do to potentially stop this progression except to not worry and to trust and to keep moving forward. I mean, there's nothing that she can do except to surrender to it and trust. She does do all that she can, both as we see in terms of the doctors, but she never really had much confidence that she'd get any help there and point of fact really didn't. Um, and then she does everything that she can spiritually through prayer. She prays very intensely for all of us as she's going through it. She does make the pilgrimage to Lourdes uh, with three of her daughters. So she does everything that she can, humanly and spiritually, and for the rest, um, not without some worry. I mean, this none of this was easy for her. She has the mother's heart. She loves her children so deeply, and her concern for her husband and her children. And, of course, the physical pain that would grow over the months. So I don't want to make this sound like she just sails through this. She doesn't. 
And the letters um, show that very, very clearly. But she does have that bedrock. And on that, she, and because of that, she's able to get through this. Of course, she's canonized today. Yeah, I guess that's the key, isn't it? The bedrock. It's the, the absolute foundation, the firm ground, that even though everything is storming out around that, there's, there's an anchoring to that bedrock, isn't there? You think of Jesus and the coming of the storm. Why are you afraid? Well, the answer is evident. Uh, the boat is swamping. We're in imminent danger of death. Why are you afraid, men of little faith? Again, all we have to do is just speak very briefly about this, and you touch the heroic. When a person is canonized, along the way, the church studies the life and writings of this person, and the prerequisite for moving on to beatification and canonization is the church's declaration that this person lived heroic sanctity. And here's a mother and a wife, call her a businesswoman if we want, with a home business, but flourishing and large, who lived heroic sanctity in those circumstances. And this is one of the lessons, too, that we see both from Therese's parents and um, maybe even more from Therese, because her world was so limited, you know, 20-some people, that's all it was. She didn't even travel for business and so on the way her father did and all the rest of this. We already have everything we need to become saints. We don't need anything different than what we have. All we have to do is live the way these figures we're looking at lived, this, because they had the same things in hand that we have. And you can live heroic holiness and look at the astounding fruitfulness for the world and the church when we do. The greatest saint of modern times came out of this woman living her daily life at home, raising children, her work uh, with heroic sanctity. So there, there are powerful lessons. I think you can see why I, I'm so happy to um, promote the reading of these letters. <laughs> well, there's one more. We'll just take one more, and this is just brief. And uh, this is, again, a letter to her sister-in-law. And uh, this is a month after the letter that we just read, in which she announces her illness to her sister-in-law. And uh, this particular paragraph happens because um, Celie's daughter, Leonie, who's about 10 years old at this point, has uh, herself just written a little letter to uh, her sister-in-law, Celine, uh, to her aunt, her aunt, excuse me, in which she announces that she wants to become a nun. And this takes Zaylee completely by surprise, this troubled child who can't um, manage at boarding school and so on and has to be sent home. And so, and so um, she writes this to her sister-in-law. It's her, that is Leonie's future, that worries me the most because she was the most uh, difficult of the children. I say to myself, what will become of her if I'm no longer here? I don't dare think about it, but I assure you that this little letter renews my courage. And I find myself hoping that perhaps God has merciful plans for this child. If it only took the sacrifice of my life for her to become a saint, I would give it willingly. And, uh, of course, her daughter's process of canonization is now underway. But I just uh, cite this as one more of so many illustrations of the, um, of the love of the other. You know, Jesus says, and this is love, 
I'm sorry, I'm looking at, I'm thinking of John 15. Greater love than this no man has than that he lay down his life for his friend, which is the story of Jesus' own life, but you see it here. A greater love of a mother for her children would be hard to find, I think, in the, in the history of our spiritual tradition. Certainly one that's articulated, where we have the letters that allow us to see it in the day by day. This is almost something unique, I would say. Praise God for these letters. So that's uh, uh, an introductory word about Therese's mother and a little bit about her father. And at this point, I think we can turn now to Therese's own letters. I look forward to our future conversations. Father Gallagher, thank you so much for bringing us these two great saints. It's a privilege to do it. You've been listening to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for the Letters of St. Therese, the Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux, with Father Timothy Gallagher.